you know, people look at me and they feel pity. They see I don't have any money, I don't have any influence, and they think it's never going to get any better for him. Some other people look at me, you know, these people, you know, they don't feel pity, they feel contempt. They look at me, it's hatred, they, the, the lies they spread, the things they say about me. See, but don't feel sorry for me. I'm a lot richer than you think. You see, I've given my life, I've given my life to Jesus. That's something money can't buy. I've got hope, I've got a future. But to me, most importantly, I have peace in my heart. I've got something to live for, because I've got something worth dying for. My name is Sam, and I am the church. a uh, Christian mission agency in South Asia. They try not to call too much attention to themselves because the countries in which they work are very hostile to Christianity. And so part of discipling people in those countries is preparing them to live as a follower of Jesus in a culture where persecution could be a reality. And so, when they work especially among the poor and the people in the tribal villages, and they hear someone express a desire to be baptized, they ask them seven questions. And here they are. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? And if you say yes to those seven questions, then you sign a paper that shows of your own free will, you've decided to follow Jesus. And if you were caught with that piece of paper, you could go to prison for three years. If you are the person that is helping people sign that piece of paper, you can go to prison for six years. Nobody asks me questions like that. When I said I wanted to be baptized. Baptism takes on a new meaning when you live in a culture that tolerates and even encourages the persecution of Christians. And so does the book of Revelation. The more I study the book of Revelation, the more I'm convinced where you live affects how you understand it. Because Revelation was written to a people in a culture that tolerated and encouraged persecution. 
And as we said earlier in this series, as John is writing to these seven churches, he knows they face two questions. Because Domitian has done what no emperor has ever done. While he's still alive, he has declared himself a god. And has asked the people in the empire, no, not asked, told the people to put a pinch of incense on an altar in the presence of Roman officials and say, Caesar is Lord. And churches have two choices. They can say, no, we can't say that. We have one Lord, his name is Jesus, and they face persecution. Or they can practice what I'm sure some would have called responsible accommodation. Go along to get along. After all, we're just being good citizens. Persecution or accommodation? The church in Smyrna chose the first. And Jesus said they chose the best. Chapter 2 of Revelation, starting in verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. We know where the ruins of Smyrna are. They are actually within the borders of a large city in Turkey called Izmir. So you can see a city around the ancient ruins of the Agora of Smyrna. Several million people live in this city, this Muslim city in Turkey. And in this city... There was an unquestioned devotion to Rome. Three centuries earlier, Smyrna became the first city in the world to dedicate a temple to the goddess Roma. They cast their lot with Rome long before Rome was the undisputed power of the world. And so when the edict came, you shall say Caesar is Lord, they lined up to do that. Well, not everybody. The Christians said, we can't go there. And they paid a price. But sometimes poor is more. And Jesus says, I know you're poor. We know from the letter that they had poor reputations and meager resources. 
The prosperity gospel would not sell in Smyrna. Christian television would not go over well where people with big hair and big chandeliers said, if you just trust Jesus, you'll have a lot of money. That gospel wouldn't work in Smyrna. In fact, that gospel doesn't work in most of the world. Jesus says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, and I know the slander. You see, here's the thing. For a long time, the Romans didn't quite get the Christians because they thought that Christianity was just an offshoot or an off-brand form of Judaism. And they had legally sanctioned Judaism. So Judaism was an official legal religion inside the Roman Empire, and they didn't have to do everything everybody else did because the Jews created lots of problems if you ever made them break away from their monotheistic faith. And so for a long time, they just thought, well, the Christians, they're just, they're just an offshoot of Judaism. But if you read the book of Acts, you know that as Christianity's impact began to grow, the Jews are constantly stirring up the Gentiles against the Christians. And they were slandering them, saying, they have no part of us. They worship a man that the Romans put to death and call him Lord. They have weird feasts where they talk about eating flesh and drinking blood. And they're splitting families right and left. And so Jesus makes this absolutely stunning and bold assessment. He says... They have become a synagogue of Satan. Now, he's not saying that the Jews were worshiping Satan in their synagogue. What he's saying is Satan is using the Jewish religion to bring persecution to the Christians. They don't even realize Satan, by the way, loves to use religion to oppose what God's up to. And that's what's going on. And the pressure they had brought to bear on this young little church had serious economic ramifications. When Jesus says, I know your poverty, the word in the Greek means you can't even meet your most basic needs. And we know from history that Christians were victims of job discrimination. They were victim of business boycotts and even sanctioned looting. And it's real easy for us to say, you know, you don't need things to be happy as long as you never have to find out if that's true. But they did. I know your poverty. I know your afflictions. And afflictions is a word that meant a crushing burden. And if you were a Christian in Smyrna, you felt under it. And you need a word from Jesus. And then you hear that a letter has come. And John wrote it, but Jesus dictated it. And you can't wait to get to church because it is hard and you are under it and you're tired of being stared at and you're tired of being unemployed. And you show up at church. Give me the word from Jesus and here's the word. Hang in there. It's about to get worse. Because the letter said they had poor prospects that things would get better. Don't be afraid about what you're about to suffer. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And understand, in the ancient world, when you got sent to prison, it was simply a prelude to your death. And so what this letter is saying is, get ready. 
you are about to go through a really intense season. And some of you are going to die. Now, you just imagine you're a young dad in church in Smyrna. You've lost your job. You're not sure, but you think when you go outside that a Roman guard is tailing you. You're bouncing your baby on your knee. And your pastor reads a letter from Jesus that says, get ready, it's coming. Wow. By the way, the word Smyrna means myrrh. Myrrh was a very popular fragrance back then. It was from this plant that they would crush to get the extract from it. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, in order for you to release the aroma that pleases the Lord, you're going to have to be crushed. And I don't know about you, but I know exactly what my first reaction would be, fear. I'd be afraid. I think it's understandable why do not fear is the most frequent command in the Bible. You ever been afraid? You're in good company. God told Abraham not to fear. He told Isaac. He told Jacob. He told Moses three times. He told Joshua three times. What about the prophets? He told Jeremiah. He told Elijah. He told Ezekiel. He told Daniel. Paul, two different times, had to be told by God, don't be afraid. Jesus told his disciples ten different times, don't be afraid. Because in the Bible, you don't conquer fear by changing your circumstances, but by changing your perspective. And so Jesus says, I know what you're going through. You are poor, yet you are rich. What? Several years ago in Virginia, this lady's going to a garage sale, and she sees this box that this person has just thrown a bunch of junk in, like a Paul Bunyan doll, and little trinkets and there's this little picture in there and she just for a few dollars buys the whole box she was just going to take the picture out and use the frame she put it in her trunk and it stayed back there for 18 months and later she put it in her shed when her mother was looking around and picked up that picture and on the back she saw this little inscription Renoir and they checked it out And it was an original from the French Impressionists. And it's about to be auctioned. And the opening bid is going to be $100,000. And what looked from the outside to be worthless and poor and rejectable was, in fact, priceless. And that's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes poor is more. And that's why in the darkest days of the church, her attackers and her persecutors never could squeeze the life out of her. 
In the book of Hebrews, for example, in chapter 10, it says, You even had joy when all that you owned was taken from you because you knew you had something better and more lasting. Even though they seemed poor, they really did believe they were rich. They thought they had something valuable that could not be taken. And what was it? Well, they were rich because they had invested in Jesus. See, the Christians in Smyrna are being told, don't don't focus on what can be taken out of your hands. But focus on the one in whose hands you can never be taken. You can lose your job. You can lose your stuff. You can lose your reputation. You might even lose your life. But if Jesus is Lord, you can't lose. John would say in another one of his letters, chapter 5, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe That Jesus is the Son of God. Who's your Lord? Jesus says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last. In other words, I was Lord before you had any afflictions. And I'm going to be Lord long after your afflictions are over. And if you believe that, then you gain a perspective that conquers fear. See, uh, Jesus told his disciples one time, Matthew 10, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What Jesus is saying to this little church is, don't be afraid of the first death. The first death doesn't matter. It's the second death you need to think about. Now, what's the second death? In Revelation, later you find out it's the lake of fire. Now, this is where some of you are going to roll your eyes because we live in a culture and a time where you just can't talk about hell anymore without being labeled. Well, I'm sorry. I don't want to talk about hell more than Jesus did, but I don't want to talk about hell less than Jesus did. And Jesus said, there is a second death. That's what you need to think about. And Jesus says, he that overcomes. In other words, he who sticks with me. He who believes in me. He who invests in me. Will not be hurt by the second death. Why? Because Jesus said, these are the words of him who died. And who lives again. And the reason they were rich. Is because they've invested in Jesus. And because they have this huge hope account. You see. Jesus faced every pressure the church in Smyrna faced. Everything they're going through. He went through. And he dealt the enemy a fatal blow. The enemy put him to death. 
but the tomb is empty. And if the tomb is empty, our hope tank is full. And you can't intimidate people full of hope. The Hebrew writer would say a little bit later, others were tortured. I'm not even worthy to read that. The worst I ever got in high school was a few names and not getting invited to a couple of cheerleader parties. Others were tortured. And they refused to turn from God in order to be set free. Why? Because they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a crown of life. Now, for 10 days, you may have to wear a crown of thorns. Wear it for 10 days. I'm going to give you a crown to wear forever. That's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. Let me tell you, persecution will reveal how much a church really believes in the resurrection. It did in the first church. Not long after this, A fierce persecution broke out among Christians in the second century. There was a church father named Tertullian. And some chose accommodation. Some started calling Caesar Lord. And they said to him, after all, we must live. And his famous answer was, must we live? Jesus never told anybody to stay alive. He said, stay faithful. And for 2,000 years, in every age, including today, there are what I call Smyrna believers being faithful to the point of death. I read recently in a book called The Privilege of Persecution about a a ministry called Open Door. They smuggled Bibles into North Korea. When uh, Kim Jong became dictator back in the 50s, he rounded up all the Christians he could find, men, women, old, young, even kids, put them in great groups in squares and had bulldozers run them over, used their bones to make roads. It's estimated there's about a quarter of a million believers in North Korea. And in this book, they said, there's this man that this ministry works with called the Traveler. They don't even know his name. They don't want to know his name. He's a very nondescript man. And he sneaks into the border of North Korea to take Bibles and commentaries to these little Christians that meet very clandestine in small groups. So that they will have the word of God to continue to read and study and give them hope. And he knows if and probably when he gets caught, 
He will be executed. He just keeps coming for more Bibles. Now, I've wrestled all week with this text. Because I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to make it apply to my church and my culture. The complaints I get from Christians are not what they were worried about in Smyrna. Do you realize someday we're going to stand before the Lord, the believers of all the ages. And this man that they call the traveler, who goes in North Korea risking his life taking Bibles to believers. I envision him standing next to me before the Lord on that great day. And he's going to tell me what he was willing to risk for Christ. And I'm going to say, you think you had it tough? At my church, the bridge was out. It was out a whole year. And sometimes it rained. Those times, it wasn't even worth it. Is this what I'm going to do? How do we, in our culture and context, relate to this kind of discipleship? I don't know what to do with this. I know, though, that if I lived somewhere where it was illegal to be a Christian, I'd like to think I could get convicted. Maybe that day's coming in our country. In fact, maybe it needs to. Things have changed a lot in my lifetime. Things that we just thought were normal, that every person could do, you can't do much anymore. I'm not being outrageous when I think it may very well be illegal for my grandchildren to stand up and preach that marriage is just a man and a woman. I'm not going to be surprised in one generation that it will be called hate speech and possibly made illegal for a man to stand up and say Jesus is the only way to be right with God. And part of me is afraid of that day and part of me thinks it might be the best thing that could happen to the church because it would purify the church and it would reveal who believes in the resurrection and who's just pretending. I don't know what to do except to ask you to live with this letter. And imagine how you would respond if our culture was even more hostile to our faith. I think the day is coming. And here's the question I want to leave you with. Are we going to allow the world to squeeze the Christ out of us. Because concealed loyalty is an oxymoron. You know that, don't you? If I go to a reunion at my wife's high school and she says, don't stand next to me, don't talk to me, don't act like you know me, I'm not honored. (laughs) If she sees me go on a trip and take my ring off every time, she's not honored. Concealed loyalty is a contradiction. 
Jesus is Lord. That might mean someday you give up your life, or it might mean for the rest of your life, you just grind it out with daily faithfulness. What do we do with a text like this? So these two things. Number one, we seize the day. We live boldly for Christ, not because we're afraid there won't be a tomorrow, but because in Jesus Christ, we know there's always tomorrow. And the second thing I think we do, we remember to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who still live in Smyrna. And so... I listened to a preacher from Seattle named Mark Driscoll who was doing a series on these churches. And he actually went to Turkey and preached a sermon at the seven sites. And so when he was at Izmir, that big city, preaching on Smyrna, with the Turkish military watching him, he finished and he was walking to catch a flight and a young citizen came up and said, I need to talk to you. And he said, I don't have much time. And the The soldiers are watching them as they talk. And this young man says to him, I think I'm supposed to become a Christian. But if I do, I'll I'll lose the blessing of my father. I'll be disowned by my family. I will lose my inheritance. I'll be kicked out of the family business and I might die. And not only that, but if I become a Christian, I think I'm supposed to start a church. Mark Driscoll said, What do you hear Jesus telling you to do? And he said, this young guy got tears in his eyes. And he said, Jesus is telling me to become a Christian and to plant a church. And as he left, Mark said, do what Jesus says and don't be afraid. Don't pity that young man. Because sometimes poor is more. On every campus, would you bow your heads? And on every campus, with those who pray for our church, would you take your places, please? Oh God, we just want to take a moment and we want to pray for the Smyrnan believers all around the world. Our brothers and our sisters, some of them are meeting even this weekend in private secret places. But they're meeting. And I pray for encouragement and strength and conviction that they will be faithful even to the point of death. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our church and our faith. Forgive us for the things that we complain about and for the petty ways we conceal our faith in this culture when the price we pay is so small. Give us boldness. If we're going to wear the name of Jesus, let us put it on our chest and not under our coat. Build up your church, Lord, and start with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. I don't know if God's calling you to become a Christian 
or just to pray with someone about being a better one. But this is your chance while we sing.